1: and welcome to episode 307 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we did a deep dive into Microsoft 365, and we mean the whole Microsoft 365 stack. You are likely to find there's more in Microsoft 365 than you thought when you listened to that episode. In this episode, we've been noticing a great increase in the frequency and intensity of official warnings about cyber attacks by state actors. Are we living in a time of cyber war? And if so, what do we need to be doing about that? Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition
0: of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about the growing threats, if not reality, of what is often referred to as cyber warfare. Uh, In our second segment, we'll take a look at whether text-to-speech is hot or not, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, what's all this talk about cyber warfare, and should you be concerned about it? As we are recording this, events in the world seem to be pointing closer and closer to a war, and as part of that conflict, we are becoming better acquainted uh, with the near certainty that if there's a war this time, and certainly if there's a war next time, it will include a cyber component to it. So we thought we'd break down the things we do know, admit the things we're not so sure about, and figure out how we're supposed to prepare for a cyber war. Dennis, what has put this
1: on your radar? Well, first, and you sort of uh, said this time, but a disclaimer we're we're recording this in advance of when people hear it. so it's possible that uh, some very relevant events might have transpired before you even listened to this uh, so maybe it will look like we either... Uh, were very insightful or we didn't have any idea of what we were talking about when it comes to predicting these things. So so we will find that out, but I will say that I did hear on uh, the news that I was watching tonight somebody uh, uh, essentially say that we've been in a cyber war uh, for, for, for several years. But there have been a number of, of warnings recently uh, in association with uh, Ukraine and uh, and, and that situation, and uh, pointing to to Russia, to China, um, perhaps North Korea and, and Iran as uh, being involved in, in cyber warfare, and of course, fingers pointed back uh, to to the U.S. Uh, but there's uh, there's definitely been some some warnings, and I think Tom that. The the one that, that caught my eye was one at the official site, the uh, CISA C I S I dot gov site, uh, which is uh, 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 their Shields Up warning, which warned of of expecting uh, Russian cyber attacks. So that's that's what actually got got it immediately on to my radar. So what have you been seeing, Tom? I definitely been seeing that. What's
0: been interesting is to follow the news. Um, about what appear to be some sort of preparing the ground attacks that we're seeing. Um, that that uh, a, a large a large uh, virus malware went out that was defacing all the Ukrainian. Uh, p- public or governmental websites. Uh, it was something that was just taking them all down. It apparently was something that uh, was fixed rather quickly. Uh, the nice thing is Ukraine has got the support of other governments and their tech people helping them with this. Um, but uh, w- it looks like there have been some some things going on there. What's kind of interesting is, uh, is, is that there are others who are kind of coming into play as well, not just uh, you know, to the extent that Russia is, is is engaged in some of these things, there are other actors who are looking to influence um, a potential invasion of the Ukraine, like a group of hackers who decided to um, hack their way into the Belarus train network so that they could. Uh, it affect the way that the Russians use the railways to to transport troops or transport other types of equipment. Um, so it's interesting. It, I think it, what we're seeing is it, it works both ways. Um, and, again, there may be no conflict, but uh, even with what we're seeing so far, we are starting to see some minor, I would call, cyber, cyber skirmishes um, that are, I think, kind of testing the defenses, weakening people, starting to deal with morale. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think that the strong warning from the SISA the website, and just so you're aware, SISA stands for I had it here. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, it's a, a, a part of the U.S. government um, that is responsible for understanding uh, global cybersecurity, and they got a lot of smart people working for them, and so you should pay
1: attention to the things they say. Yeah. So, Tom, I taught a class in cybersecurity and data protection this fall at, at Michigan State's uh, uh, law school. And the book I had the students read is uh, from Nicole Perlroth, and it's called This is How They Tell Me the World Ends. And it's a great, it's going to be uh, going to win some awards, but it's uh, as close to plain language story as you can get of what's happening in sort of what's going on with state uh, cyber warfare techniques and uh, a certain class of of. Security problems known as zero-day attacks, um, and we've talked about some of these things on on in, in prior episodes. But um, this was really interesting to me, and, and really the students uh, uh, got interested in in it because it it gave you some context for for what's happening and when we say uh, cyber warfare and when we think about cyber attacks. And so one of the things that that I talked a lot about is and that I really see there's sort of four major cyber attack vectors. So there's state actors. uh, So this is the countries, uh, the non-state actors, which can be terrorists. They can also be sort of like rogue elements of government, then the, the third one would be organized crime, and then the fourth, uh, I call unorganized crime or opportunity crime, vandalism in some cases, where it's it's just just really not not organized, uh, and I think. Some ransomware where people just want to get some money or they just wanted to face websites uh, come into that category. Cyber war generally gets you um, into the world of state actors. And I think we we worry a bit because those of us uh, who are not part of this can suffer the consequences, and we we've seen that in different different places with uh, infrastructure going down, and that's that's what the concern is. And I think the uh, you know the pipeline, uh, the power systems, other other things that have happened, and some of the things that you uh, were seeing concern about in Ukraine. Give us a general sense of of what's out there. So I don't know, Tom. I, so that's, that's why I think we, we really want to think about in this episode is, is sort of what happens when the, when the big guys get at it? What happens when countries are going after each other? And, and uh, uh, what do we need to do about that? To be honest, I don't think we've, I mean, I think
0: we've seen, there have been some bad things going on, but I don't think that the bad things that have happened so far have really affected people on a huge scale um, so far. I think that, that that they've been limited to certain things because when I think about um, things by major state actors, you know, the if, if you think about the state actors who are most likely to attack either the United States or its allies. Um, we're primarily thinking about countries like Russia, Iran, North Korea, those types of things. Um, but then when you look at some of the history of, of cyber warfare, um, some of the things aren't what I would consider to be You know, attacks on a government. Um, You know, for example, the 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 one that that the United States was involved in, along with Israel, was I think Stuxnet was the one of the more famous ones, um, which was a bug that was designed to hamper or delay Iran's nuclear weapons development, and was by all accounts a very successful uh, in doing that um but then when i think about you know say a company like Nor- a country like north korea um i think of the sony pictures hack which wasn't uh, exactly a government attack it was embarrassing for sony it caused a lot of people uh to have to think about oh my gosh i'm keeping all sorts of compromising stuff in my email that i need to think about protecting but uh wasn't really the type of uh, attack that would get most people's notice and say i'm really scared that they could attack us now now the last time that Russia attacked Ukraine there was a there was some malware it was called I think Petya or not Petya um, and um, it it was very successful in crippling a lot of Ukrainian systems, but the problem there was it, I, I don't know whether it was intentional or unintentional. I kind of want to think it was not completely intentional. It wound up cascading throughout Europe, and it affected the United States too, and I think the total price tag worldwide was somewhere around $10 billion in damage that was caused. So, you know, I, I sort of view the history of things as saying, yeah, $10 billion, that's a pretty bad attack, but I don't think we've even come close to seeing the worst that an organization can do because I really think that the most dangerous attacks are on the most vulnerable places like our infrastructure, like our power grid, like our water systems, which to my mind are, are, are easy pickings and there's so many different ways to attack them. Um, it, you know, the, the, the attacker just has to be right with one of them.
1: Right, and supply chain would be the other one, obviously, where there's a a smallish attack can, can have very outsized uh, consequences. So there have been some huge attacks as of i I think in terms of potential so uh, there's uh, one associated with China. I mean, I, I, I sort of am cautious in how I uh, describe some of these things, Tom, because I think we're relying on uh, information that we, we're never quite sure, uh, like how accurate it is, because sometimes it gets corrected after uh, some period of time. But there's definitely vulnerabilities in the Microsoft Exchange Server, uh, compromise of government data, personal data. And a lot of, uh, lot of concern about uh, attacks that seem to be just kind of probing for vulnerabilities. I don't think we've, we've seen just a little bit of the of what would happen in a uh, the cold, sort of cold war versus hot war setting, and I see the cyber warfare as being uh, you know like a, a leveling the play playing field. So what are you going to do if another country attacks you? You you may go after their infrastructure systems because you don't have air power, for example, or, or things like that. And so so. That is kind of interesting, and and I suspect that a lot of the cyber weapons are being held in reserve, and they will continue to keep evolving because there's, uh, as in the Pearl Roth book says, there's certainly no... We haven't seen a huge decrease in the number of, of zero-day vulnerabilities that people are finding in systems. And for example, there was a uh, a vulnerability that's been uh, that was just discovered in the Linux operating system, which is probably in roughly like a zillion uh, computing devices that uh, has been around for 14 years. And that's typically uh, how these things get. Uh, Get executed. So I'm going to disagree slightly with your statement that cyber warfare
0: levels the battlefield. I think it only levels the battlefield if you have nations with comparable cyber power. Um, I think that cyber warfare actually tilts it towards the attacker, especially if the attacker has the advantage. I mean, the 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 purpose of the state attack is primarily destabilization. It's going to demoralize the people. It knocks them off balance. It Potentially puts pressure on the governments being attacked to give up or compromise or do whatever they can to make it stop. You know, if you're hitting them physically, if if you combine a cyber attack with a physical attack, then you're hitting them physically with bombs, but you're also crippling their access to their banks, to electricity, to water, whatever. That's, I think, a really powerful attack. And the problem is that the country that's being attacked has to protect against all possible attack vectors. And the attacker really only has to be successful once. I mean, they they just have to find the one way to get in, and it's pretty... It's pretty simple there. So, um, you know, I I think that um, that's why having a good defense and being able to fight back is what allows you to level the playing field. And I don't think that a lot of, I mean, I think that certainly Ukraine probably doesn't have the same resources that, say, the United States would or some of the other larger countries, um, which is why I think it's getting a lot of help from those countries in defending against what has been happening so far that we've seen anyway.
1: And we've also seen there's this, this really interesting, and maybe not in a good way, but an interesting variable in that um, – I think you saw this with Anonymous and and other groups uh, in, especially in corporate attacks that, uh, you know, you get these loose confederations uh, or groups that will attack things. And uh, the example you gave about the railroad system, that to me seemed like that came from a third party that was really interested in in causing, uh, you know, some difficulties Um, And was not associated with either of the countries involved. And so then you sort of have the overlay of saying, here's somebody who has access to these, these tools, and they start using it. And then you get into that weird situation of like, who's, who's doing what, and is, something, is somebody being blamed for something because uh, it's made to look like they're involved? And, uh, you know, so it's really interesting. I, I got to tell you, Tom, I, in, in the recent times, I've just been thinking a lot about uh, how little it took of uh, what a small event caused World War I. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, and, and like I said, not in a good way, of how many different dimensions there can be in in uh, in in the cyber world uh, but I guess we should bring it back to to our audience and and think about you know we can we can all think of ways that will affect us uh, you know and the main way could be that we're going like hey why isn't why isn't the the water turning on this morning or why is the internet down today or you know something like that Uh, because that's going to be the nature of an infrastructure attack but The trouble is, Tom, I think that law firms have been known as a weak link in the security system for years. I mean, the FBI has been warning law firms about being a weak link for at least 10 years, uh, uh, maybe longer. But uh, what are the places that we would want to start uh, beefing up our defenses
0: well, I want to say I want to come back real quick to what you said, and I will say that if if I'm scared about something right now, I was listening to um, the Cyber Law Podcast, which, by the way, if you don't listen to it, it's a great podcast. There's a lot of good people talking about the latest in cyber law, which includes cybersecurity. And there was someone there who was who mentioned the fact that right now there are eighty thousand water systems nationwide. That's eighty thousand potential places that could be attacked. And water systems are one of the least funded or they they are the lowest priority in getting funding for these types of things. So if I'm going to be scared, I'm going to be probably less scared about a law firm getting attacked and more scared about my water system getting attacked. But that said, what can we do what are the steps that you can do um, and gee a lot of these sound familiar a lot of these sound like things that we've talked about in the past um, you know if you go to the CISO website um, they talk about a lot of things that you can do um, you know one make sure that remote access to your organization requires multi-factor authentication um, that's accessed by users by vendors by administrators um, you're making sure like Dennis said you want to make sure all your software is up to date because that most common attack vector is going to be out-of-date software. It is easy, it's an easy target, and it's easy to exploit. Um, The rule about ports, ports that aren't essential for business need to be disabled. Um, If you're using cloud services, what's interesting is, is that a has some guidance on safeguards that you need to take, including specific recommendations for Microsoft 365, but what's interesting about it for me is, is that for those of you cloud doubters who are out there, this is not saying don't use the cloud. It's just saying be careful, make sure you take the right, uh, the right precautions. It's not saying that Microsoft 365 is safe. It's saying in Microsoft 365 enable these features in order to protect yourself. And you know, if you're not sure, hire somebody to come do a vulnerability test. What I didn't know until I was looking at this was that CISA offers its own cybersecurity assessment at no charge. Um, So if that's an option, why not take a look at it? But if you're not sure whether your firm or your company or whatever is up to snuff, then see if somebody come in and, and make a test. Because I mean, we're talking about things on a high level, on a state level and attacking the infrastructure. But you know, some of these attacks can start at the lowest level. So it's kind of a I don't know, I feel a little bit like we're talking about planting your victory garden in World War II, but it's all doing our part to keep safe and to protect our country. And I, even though this, you may be uh, an unlikely source, it's possible that you could wind up being part of it if you're not taking care of yourself. It just doesn't make it makes sense to, to take these precautions.
1: Yeah, and I would say that... Uh You know, you just need to look, it's time to take a fresh look at your risk assessment and management practices um, and say, okay, given what's going on, uh, am I making decisions about risk and how I'm protecting myself um, at a level that's appropriate? Because I'd say if you go and you read that CISA shields up site, you're gonna have if you haven't read it before. You're gonna have a different feeling about your risks than than you had before you read th- that article. I I'm, I guarantee that. So I think these days we gotta we gotta monitor the news. Uh, know that CISA and those other resources are available, and other people will be working on things at the same time. I think you gotta bump up a notch or two on, on your security efforts. And I would say the big one for me is is backup because um, that's going to help you on ransomware. It's going to help you on other things. I'm actually, Tom, believe it or not, I'm adding even a, a, a few more layers to my backup. So, I think those are the things you, you want to look at and then sort of managing that approach to say, is there something driving you? Do clients want you to do more? Do you have legal requirements to do more? And then I think it's going to be that that off time that you, you sort of alluded to, like what's where are we on that line between uh, f- how prepared do we want to be versus uh, people th- thinking that we're preppers?
0: I agree. So uh, along those lines, the only thing that I'll say to add to that is um, it's not enough to have all of those things in place. You need to test it too. It's not enough to have the layers of backup that Dennis is talking about. You need to make sure that backup is tested so that the first time you use it is not after there's been something bad that happens. So uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, um, but it's not just... It's not enough to just make sure that the moat is full and that the gates are up around the castle. You need to be able to respond quickly and you need to be able to make sure that you can get up and running in case there's an issue. So I think all of that applies as well.
1: So, Tom, how uh, on a scale of one to 10, how worried are you these days? I am.
0: Of, of imminent cyber warfare, um, well, you know as of the day that we're recording this i there's there, there is news at least of a potential uh, resolution, but I'm going to stick with about a seven and a seven or eight out of ten um, uh, of imminent cyber warfare of something happening to the United States. I'm more like a five or six. How are you
1: feeling, Dennis? I guess I have more concern over. Something unexpected by somebody sort of, uh, I hate to say like those meddling hackers, but sort of something accidental happen is is my big concern. I sort of think at some point that cooler heads will prevail, but I have a pretty high rating and uh, I think that, you know, as uh, Warren Buffett says, you know it's it's better to prepare than to predict, and uh, that's I'm on the preparation side. And as as we were talking about, you know, the notion of cyber wartime, as the uh, the talking head song says, "This ain't no party, this ain't no disco, and this is no time for fooling around right now."
0: And with that, we're going to move on. One thing that I did forget to mention is um, if you are interested in keeping up with these types of stories, um, found a great page on the Internet. We'll link to it in the show notes on um, the what we call the top 30 cybersecurity experts you should follow. And um, it's got people from all over the country or all over the world who are talking about cybersecurity on Facebook, on YouTube, or not Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, other places. Um, definitely some good names in there. Please take a look and uh, and make sure you're keeping up with that. All right, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload.
1: Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at
0: Staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot c-c, and get $500 off. With code HAPPY24. And
1: now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for another segment of Hot or Not. We pick a tech topic in the news and decide whether it is hot or not. We'll probably not agree in our assessments, but it's a fun way to hear our perspectives on tech topics. I've been reading way more audiobooks these days, and I guess we need to. To find out, I come up with a, a word for uh, reading audiobooks, uh, the more I think about it. And, but I've noticed that I have a backlog of articles and other written materials that just keeps growing. And so it got me wondering whether the current generation of text to speech tools might make it possible to catch up on reading by uh, listening to, well, everything. Uh, Tom, what's your thermometer reading on this one? Well, for me personally, it's fairly cool.
0: Um, not not hot about this one. I have enough things to listen to already, and I don't need software tools who are taking more text and reading to me. That would just be overload for me personally. Um, but I really I could see two areas where I think text-to-speech is and can be pretty hot. I think the first area clearly is in accessibility. Um, You can get Microsoft Word to read to you, you can get Windows uh, to read to you, you can get your Mac to read to you, which I think is a great feature for people with with vision problems, with limited vision issues. Um the, I think the tools seem to work pretty well for what they do. Um the quality of the reading tends to be pretty monotone without a lot of inflection, so you're getting, you know, what you what you pay for. It's not uh, you know, I would I would I would hope that we're going to see some AI tools to be able and and I think some of these have AI tools that will give more of a human sounding voice to this, but uh, the quality is good. I mean, it's they're just reading reading text, and and that that's an area where I find that uh, technology has done a pretty good job of 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 getting you what you need. And then another area that I'm seeing that would or possibly be of more use to me if I didn't already have too many things to listen to, um, are the you know the read it later apps like Pocket and Instapaper. Um, if you don't want to read an article, you can actually have the app read it back to you. You can, but the apps all have that functionality. Um, you know, likewise, uh, WordPress actually has a tool that will convert your blog post into a podcast. So you could. I'm not sure if it works the other way where you could convert somebody else's post into a into a podcast, but We are seeing more and more articles or saying things like you can turn your text into a podcast so that people can listen to it. Um, I think these tools are ideal for people who don't have time to read. I think that if you're or, or if you are out and about a lot, if you need something while you're working out, walking the dog, cleaning the house, doing something where you can listen at the same time, I think it's great. I'm not really into it so it's hot. it's 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 cool for me but I could see text-to-speech heating up for a lot of people Dennis
1: yeah I got it on the on the, the warmish side for a uh, a couple of reasons and so and it sort of depends on how you use things but you know I was always told and, and you get this advice a lot if you're a writer that you you want to read what you've written uh, so you hear it and that that helps you um, get it to the the best that it, that it can be and so if you could do text to speech there that's that's kind of an interesting approach um, and then then also, I think there's a number of times where you say, I can't really read, um, you know, like I'm driving or whatever. And if I took, you know, stuff that was, you know, like printed material and it just was read to me while I was in the car, um, that could be really helpful because I get caught up on those, those articles and things. To me, the key in, in that has to be that I can, you know, I can speed up. The, the playback to, to at least one and a half pace. Because I think one of the things about audiobooks is that I actually do read faster than the, the books can be read to me, um, sometimes even at an accelerated speed. Um, so it does, it sort of takes me long to go through books, but it, it actually, uh, in certain uh, circumstances, it's just a, a better way to do that. So I think it's warming up. And I think it's just one of those things that, as you alluded to, Tom, I, th- I think is if we take a look at the accessibility uh, features that are built into our programs these days and services these days, we're going to find some things that, uh, that actually are really uh, personalized things and make them useful uh, f- for, for all of us um, in, in certain settings. So I'm just intrigued by this. Like I said, I, I sort of bump it up to the to the warm level. I don't know that it's it's hot, but I th- I think it's an interesting uh, area for people to look at, especially people who are already uh, reading a lot of audiobooks. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
0: My parting shot this time comes under the category of I can't believe I've missed this for the past two years. Um, And I also can't believe I'm giving a tip about Facebook, which I'm generally not a fan of these days. Um, But I recently discovered for particular reasons, that Facebook has a Facebook Messenger vanish mode, which means that if you want your messages in Facebook Messenger to disappear, you can configure that to happen. And you can configure that uh, based on the time frame. So you can say that five seconds after someone views my message, I want it to go away. Five, 10, 20, 30 seconds, five minutes. You can set the timeframe by which your message goes away um, and um, if someone tries to take a screenshot of what you send them, it actually sends you a notification to let you know. So it's smart if someone tries to do something; it it, it will at least alert you that someone's doing that, and allows you to block them if you uh, if you don't feel safe when you're talking to someone. But you know, I am you know I've come un, I've come as a part of this as part of um, learning that that people that I know need to have some sensitive conversations and are struggling to find a good way to have those conversations without getting on the phone, uh, without using other services that uh, that people could find out about, and uh, not that they're doing anything illegal, uh, but that they are just trying to have some confidential conversations. And um, I'm, I, I think this is a, a, a reasonable tool to be able to use that, even though it's Facebook, uh, and I was interested to find that it existed. Dennis.
1: Yeah, it's interesting uh, as you start to think about that is how how we can have confidential uh, conversations given some of the tools we have uh, with their ability to capture and store everything and how uh, lawyers need to think that through with certain clients and using certain tools. So uh, definitely something that, that people should look into if they're using Facebook. Messenger just to to understand it. So I saw this article on uh, How To Geek uh, uh, by Tim Brooks called "How to Clean a Laptop Screen." I said, "Well, that that's interesting. That's something I don't probably don't think about often enough." And the the same day, I was uh, the sun through the window caught my laptop screen, and it was. It was hideous, wasn't it? It was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) I had the same thing. (laughs) Amazing how how dirty it was. Uh, So there's no there's no big mystery, you know, like great secrets unveiled in this article. But it does give you some recommendations for like cloths that this uh, person has found that are useful and, and sprays and stuff. But it, it's mainly a reminder that you just it's worthwhile to clean those screens every now and then. Because like I said, to, with the sun shining through the window on it, I was like, I no wonder I have uh, trouble reading some of the things on the screen. So there's that. And then as we were talking about uh, the Talking Heads, and uh, it's, it's always a good day to, to, uh, to listen to the Talking Heads song, Life in Wartime. So let me add that as a parting shot as well.
0: And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous episodes along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can reach out to us on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We love to get voicemails so we can feature your questions or comments for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast,
1: I'm Tom Mile.